Amen. Well, we're beginning a six-week sermon series called After Easter. We're going to be looking at six different life-changing encounters that the risen Christ in a physical presence has with his followers, with his disciples after he has risen from the dead, starting with our gospel reading for today from John chapter 20. But to put that in context for you here today, last Sunday on Easter Sunday, we looked at the resurrection through the lens of Mary and Mary and a woman by the name of Salome. It was Easter morning. They go to the tomb to present and put spices on Jesus' body. The tomb is empty. There's an angel there speaking to them. Then they actually get to see the risen physical Jesus, and the text tells us that they cling to Jesus. John's gospel, Jesus actually says to to, um, Mary, let go of me, don't cling to me, because I have not ascended yet to the Father. That was Easter morning. Now it's Easter evening for our gospel reading, and I want you to listen to two emotions that I saw right away when I read this for the first time. The emotion of fear, the emotion of doubt, And then listen to how Jesus walks with the disciples through those two very real emotions. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I lost my place. There we go. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are all those who have not seen and yet have believed. Then he ends the gospel like this, or chapter 20 like this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now did you hear those emotions? Fear and doubt. We see fear, obviously, in the disciples who are so afraid. The text tells us they're afraid of the Jews. This is not the Jewish people. This is not the Jewish culture. They're afraid of the Jewish authorities. The ones who have this power to get the Roman army on their side and three days prior had grabbed Jesus, put him through an illegal trial, 
and then had him killed on a cross. And that's what the disciples are afraid of. Could the same thing happen to them? They're fearful for their very lives. What I find interesting, though, about this and why this fear is so prevalent in this text is if you look at verse 26, if you're following along, they'd already experienced the risen Christ. They'd seen him. And Luke's gospel gives us even more detail. Luke says that Jesus actually had a meal with them because they are worried, is this a a vision? How do we know this is real? I mean, you would probably do the same thing if you saw the risen Christ. And so Jesus has a meal with the disciples, then he leaves. It's eight days later, the text tells us, and they're still inside, and the doors are still locked. Now, right off the bat, we have something that hopefully we can find a little bit of comfort in, because that shows us that even if you believe in the risen Christ, that Jesus rose from the dead, you can still have this emotion, this experience we call fear. Because, of course, we live on the other side of heaven where there is this thing called sin, and some fear is sin-induced in that we are not putting our full trust and faith in Jesus, in God, to protect our lives and to watch over us. And, and by the way, this is not... This is not a biological response to fear. You know that God made us a certain way. He designed us so that when we experience a fearful situation, we have this thing called adrenaline that rushes through our body, rushes through our bloodstream, to our heart, to our brain, and we can sometimes do amazing things like have amazing feats of strength or run long distances faster than we could ever get there. That's what adrenaline has the power to do for us. God designed it in our system so we could get out of a dangerous situation. That's not the type of fear we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about what I'll call irrational fear, the type of fear that keeps us locked inside our houses, the type of fear that keeps us from witnessing or sharing our faith, the type of fear, as some of our students will say, is FOMO-induced fear of missing out, or maybe we compromise our morals or our values because we don't want to miss out what's happening over here. That's the type of fear we're talking about, and we see this on display for us in the disciples. And maybe you've experienced these types of fear before. As I was planning, researching for this sermon, I came across a website. It's on the web, so it must be true. These are some of the top 10 fears that people experience in 2020. See if you can relate to this. The first one is tripophobia, the fear of holes. Look, I didn't make up the website, Kellen, okay? I have no idea. Maybe you're afraid of holes. Number eight, for the very first time in the top 10, I'm told, I thought it would have been lower on the list, but it's mysophobia, the fear of germs. That makes sense. Breaking down in the top five, though, we've got agoraphobia, the fear of open or crowded spaces. (laughs) Karin, I liked your kid's message, the 2020 box. Although, if somebody is an agoraphobic and uh, an introvert, they want to go back to 2020. That's like their happy space. (laughs) Give me back to 2020. Number three, we've got the fear of heights. Number two, fear of snakes, gross. And then number one, the number one fear, any guesses what it might be? Spiders. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Listen, people, if you're afraid of spiders, here's a very helpful tip. You can step on them. (laughs) Fear gone. I don't know what kind of fear you brought with you today to the service if you're watching online, but I know because I have this fear sometimes in my heart that it's very real and it can cause us to not act in ways that God calls us to act. We can be trepidatious. What might 
you be afraid of this day? What might be paralyzing you? What fear is in your heart? Put that aside for just a second. We'll address those fears. But first, let's turn our attention to what we see, the second emotion in our text, the doubt of Thomas. Now, if you've heard this before, oftentimes uh, Thomas gets this moniker. It's called, he's called Doubting Thomas many times. But as I look at this text, there's something far deeper, far more emotionally uh, raw going on in Thomas's life than simple doubt. We've all experienced doubt on some level. This is deeper. This reminds me of many conversations I've had in the last 20 years or so of working in a church with people who have experienced a great tragedy, uh, the loss of a loved one, the cancer diagnosis, you know, something that is so out of control in your life when in a very natural response because we're sinful human beings, we might cry out in the same way we see Thomas with anger, with frustration because we go, God, where were you when I was experiencing this? You have promised me something, but it seems like you're not hearing my prayers. It seems like I'm getting something exactly opposite from you. That's what's going on in Thomas's heart. He makes this outlandish request he says to the disciples, unless I can put my finger in the hole where the nail's made, put my hand inside his fist, the, the spear mark in Jesus' uh, waist, I'm sorry, I will never believe. This is not mere doubt. He is now what we might call an agnostic. Maybe even an atheist refusing to believe the evidence, the testimony of the disciples, he's refusing it. I'll ask you the same question, whether it's fear or maybe this morning you're wrestling with some aspects of Christianity and you might have some doubts in your heart, whether it's fear or doubt. Our first application point is this. The words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus. If you have your Bibles open or an app on your phone, look at verse 19, look at verse 26. What's the very first word that Jesus uses when he appears suddenly before the disciples? He, he offers them a blessing of what? Peace. He says, peace be with you. And that word peace in English, you know, we, we don't have a very holistic, comprehensive idea of peace. We think of peace as like a peace treaty that two countries make with each other. I promise not to go, or go to war against that country. We sign a peace accord. But peace in the Hebrew, in the Greek, is far more meaningful. It has a deeper, richer meaning. What Jesus is saying is, I wish you an abundance of peace. I wish that your heart would have a flourishing of peace. Another synonym for this word in the Greek is prosperity. You know, think of somebody who's prosperous, whether it's in wealth or in grace, in joy. They've got an abundance of it. Jesus is walking into the room, appearing in the room, and saying, I wish you a, a prosperous heart of peace. And we can see the, the response. First of all, in verse 19, John said, well, this is kind of a generic. I, I, I'm kind of upset with John about this because he simply says, they were glad. They were glad. Matthew, Mark, Luke says that they were overjoyed. They were filled with awe. They were amazed. John's like, yeah, they were glad. <laughs> if John took the Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs is, a, test, is a, a psychological profile thing, I guarantee you that he would be 100% T thinking and 0% feeling, which ironically is the same Myers-Briggs uh, platform that our dear pastor Nate has. <laughs> Nate, if you were there, this is my impression of Nate. How were, what was it like, Nate? They were glad. Mm. <laughs> Now, 
I've been waiting for this moment <laughs> for so many years, and I finally got it. Okay, forget, forget the other disciples. Let's look at Thomas's uh, reaction. Thomas says this for the very first time. The first disciple, this former agnostic, former atheist, responds like this, my Lord and my God. He's the first one to recognize that Jesus is actually God, not a prophet, not somebody who had great moral teachings. He recognizes him as my Lord and my God. And the disciples' lives are forever changed. These timid, scared Christians go on to literally change the world. They plant churches. They preach the gospel in dangerous situations. They fear nothing. In fact, they, all of them but John, eventually give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And Thomas, our dear friend, our, our agnostic here, he's so bold, he makes it to the country of India. It's a historical fact. When the Portuguese traders and missionaries got to southern India, they were amazed that the native people already knew of this Jesus. And they knew because Thomas got over his doubt and he went to the country of India and preached the gospel. It's amazing. But there is one problem. Maybe some of you have already picked up on it. I'm being very selective in my passages that I'm quoting back to you because after all, the disciples had a physical encounter with Jesus. They can see him and they can touch him. I mean, if Jesus was up here reading from the gospel, if Jesus was giving the sermon, you would go, of course I believe. Of course I'll never have any fear in my life or any doubt in my life because I can see you, Jesus. Well, believe it or not, this is not actually the point that John is trying to make here for us, that the physical resurrection of Jesus changed their life. It helped, of course, but instead he's pointing us to something deeper, and we get this in these last two verses of John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, kind of throwaway lines in the middle of a narrative section of Scripture. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Underline this word, memorize this word, life in his name. Again, we got to go back to the Greek because in the English language, we only have one word for life. But in Greek, there were two understandings of life. And the first word that's used in Scripture is bios. That's where we get the word biology from. And that only means your physical life, your, your 100 years or so you have on this planet, your fingers, your toes, your, your physical side of life. That's bios. But John here uses a Greek word, zoe. Zoe means your physical life, but it also is much more holistic. It's your spiritual life as well. Your spiritual life in the presence, in the present, and your spiritual life out into the future, your eternal life, your physical life, your eternal life, your mind and your soul, your body and your spirit. That's the word that he's using here. And then he goes and he unpacks it in the epistle, what this really means for us. I'll put it on the screen so that you can see it, some selected verses from our reading today. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning, this is a play on words, he's talking about Jesus here, the word of life, the very words of Jesus that, were ex that put creation into existence. And it's that Zoe, the, this time the eternal Zoe, the eternal life that was there from the beginning that will be there forever 
this Jesus that we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you. This is verse five, listen to this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. In other words, what John is trying to show us here is that it wasn't so much the disciples got to see the physical Jesus that changed their life forever. It was the words of Jesus that changed their life forever. His words. As they think back to John 10.10, when Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come to give what? Life, Zoe. And to have it in the fullest, to have it in abundance. And Peter, in his proclamation of, of who Jesus was as the Messiah, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Zoe, it's the words of Jesus that will change your life. <laughs> and so I could end this sermon by this, and I've done this before. I could end this sermon by saying, you should read your Bible a lot more than you do. And you should. And I could say, you should all be in Bible study. You should get back here on Wednesday night and go to the Bible study. And look, you should. But we have in our gospel reading something that Jesus gives us, another gift that helps us walk with our, through our fears and our doubts, and it's the gift of community. We've got the words of Jesus, and we've got the community of Jesus. Listen to this. I missed it the first time that I read this, and as Nate and I were talking about this sermon, he pointed it out. Isn't it interesting that Thomas never leaves this community? It's fascinating. Thomas never leaves the community. He missed the first day. We don't know why he wasn't there when the disciples got to see Jesus for the first time resurrected. But then the text says in verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Thomas was with them. That means that despite his doubts, despite his feelings of unbelief, he was not excluded from the community of faith, the community of Jesus. Instead, they welcomed Thomas. They allowed him to express his doubts, to express his unbelief, and to experience that rawness of emotion that so many of us have felt before inside the safety of a community of faith that's grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. That is a different community, I guarantee, from any other community you've ever been a part of. This place is different. Now, I pray that we have that type of community here, and I know we're not perfect I know that we make mistakes, but my prayer, and I do pray this, I pray that this would be a type of place where you yourselves could experience the love and grace of Jesus through your doubts and through your fears. So I want to make this invitation to you. If you are experiencing that time right now, would you reach out to one of uh, your pastors? You can email Heidi. We'd love to set up an appointment with you. We've got amazing directors of Christian educations here in Courtney and Cassie and Karen. They would love to meet with you and help walk you through your doubt. We've got missional communities that are meeting at this time. They would love to invite you in and help you walk through your faith or your fears and your doubts. And if you know somebody else who's not here, who's missing? Who was once part of our community, but this last year you've seen them fall away? Maybe you could reach out to them to invite them into your life to walk with them through their doubts and fears so that we could be the type of people that our mission statement 
says we're going to be, and I know you all know this because you've memorized it, ordinary people who know and share extraordinary life, Zoe, physical and spiritual life in Christ. Maybe we're the type of people who, by God's grace, hear his words and live in community together. Amen? Amen. Amen.